0: Are you letting God shape your heart? If we let him deep in our hearts, like the Apostle Paul did, it can help us create a movement that can move mountains. Hey folks, it's Karen G. from Tower Hills Communications Team. Thanks for listening in to our weekly podcast. We hope today's message inspires you to dig deeper in your faith. And if you like our message, please share it with a friend. This week, we're continuing on to the next chapter in our sermon series called The Story. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Welcome to chapter 29 of the story. Yes, we only have three more weeks of the story, which it's amazing that all of these almost 31 weeks has gone by. And I hope that you have found this series to be helpful in you understanding how from cover to cover, from the beginning to the end, how it all fits together, how the story of Jesus fits and how it all fits with your story of faith as well. Something that I forgot to mention is next week would be our normal communion Sunday and we're going to invite you to participate at home. So I'm going to set up uh, the table and the elements and I'm going to give the words of institution and you are going to take communion at home. So uh, stay tuned to our Tower Talk or our website as we're going to talk more about how to prepare to do home communion. And then what we want to do, which we think would be really cool, is to take some pictures of you doing communion and send them to us so we can assemble all the pictures and it feels like we're all doing communion together. Of course, that's the spiritual reality, but it's nice to show it with pictures as well of the physical reality of sharing communion together. So today, we are continuing in our story through the New Testament, and it really centers around one question. I think it's a question that we all have asked in one way or another, or maybe you have asked or are asking even right now, and that's this. What would it take? What would it take for you to put your life on the line to share the good news of Jesus? Listen, there are people all over the world who have to answer that question for real every single day, but I have to think, like, what would it take for me to actually put my life on the line? Is it just Jesus' teaching? Well, I don't know. Because some people, like his teaching is great and everything, but I kind of want some proof, too. Before I put my life on the line, I want to see that what the teacher has said is real. This is true with, I think, probably any teaching or any philosophy. Like if I was with Jesus, and he was talking to me all about the resurrection of the dead, like that's awesome. I don't know then if I would go out and risk my life to tell everybody, everybody about the resurrection of the dead. I would, if Jesus actually resurrected from the dead. In other words, it's the proof that gets me out to put my life on the line to share the good news of Jesus. Here's the truth. As good as Jesus' teaching is, his teaching wasn't what got the disciples out of the upper room. It wasn't what sent them into the rest of the world. It wasn't his teaching. Jesus' followers didn't go public because of his teachings, but because of his resurrection. Something happened that they could not explain. Something happened that provided proof for absolutely everything. They went from this scared, unsure group huddling together, hiding from the authorities to people willing to go out into the world and speak the good news of Jesus, even if that meant losing their own life. Why is that important? Listen, we don't gather here on Sundays to talk about all the great teachings of Jesus. That sounds weird, doesn't it? We don't come here on Sundays to talk about the great teachings of Jesus. He is not one of many, like, great te- the great teacher's collection, and we're picking Jesus, We think there's something fundamentally different about Jesus. Something supernaturally happens to us because of the resurrection. Something changes. Our status with God completely changes because of the resurrection. The resurrection changes everything, and that's why we go out to share the good news. Yes, the teachings are great, but that's not what gets us out into the world. It's the proof that does. It's the resurrection. And for those early disciples, there was a risk. There was a real risk that they had to face. We learn a little bit about this risk as we get introduced to a main character, a main person of the New Testament. And that is Saul, who later becomes Paul. In Acts chapter 8.1, we get introduced to him. This was right after the stoning or the, you know, the murder of the first apostle happened, right? The first martyr for the sake of the gospel, Stephen. And there's just a little tagline that introduces us to Saul. And Saul approved of their killing him. Saul was a highly trained lawyer, he was a highly trained expert in the law. He had status, he had power, he was really smart, he was tenacious. And he was after all followers of Jesus. He thought they had it wrong. And he was going to round them up and make them pay. He had no problem with capital punishment, especially when it came to who he thought were blasphemers. So then how could this anti-Jesus weapon come to write two-thirds of the New Testament? I assure you, it wasn't just because of Jesus' teachings. It was because something happened to him that changed everything, that made those teachings matter. Something fundamentally changed in Saul, that changed his whole life, and in the end, changed all of our lives. There's a a book called A Work of Heart, Understanding How God Shapes Spiritual Leaders by Reggie McNeil. I love this book. It talks about how God is in the business of heart shaping with us. It's not just about learning the teachings here. It's about what he wants to do here. And in the book, he uses kind of that famous legend of the statue of David and Michelangelo, where he said, I just chipped away the parts of the marble that weren't David. That's a wild thought, right? Kind of amazing, this big hunk of marble turns into one of the most beautiful statues. So I just chipped away all the parts that weren't David, and I think that's a beautiful illustration of what God does to us—blocks of marble—is that He is constantly chipping away those parts that aren't us, and so we become the masterpiece that He's created us to be. Some call it spiritual formation. I think you could also call it heart shaping. How does God shape our hearts? What does that do? Well, it's a supernatural thing. God's Holy Spirit does that. And then we take those teachings with the proof of the Holy Spirit and we go out into the world. I think the important thing to remember about this is just like Paul, who was Saul, he didn't become a totally different person per se. In other words, he was still the person he was before. He was just a redeemed version. He was a version that had more of the marble chipped away to become more of his true self. In other words, when he became a Christian and and his whole life changed, he was just as smart, just as tenacious, and God used that about him to bring his gospel to the world, to start churches everywhere he went. He didn't change necessarily those things about Paul that made him him. He just redeemed them. He gave them the right direction. He chipped away the marble so that Paul could become more and more the person he was created to be. Just like Kanye West. I'm I'm just kidding. But it is an example, right? So we see these people in our society who have a heart-shaping experience and we don't always know what to do with it. So listen, no matter what you think of Kanye, I know his his 2013 album, Jesus where he he goes to great lengths in interviews to talk about how he and Jesus are a lot alike. Yeah, it's okay. You can laugh. It's okay. He and Jesus are a lot alike. In fact, he was quoted as saying, I think this was from Wall Street Journal, I know he's the most high, but I am a close high. Like, he thought a lot about himself. This last year, something interesting happened. He says that he got saved. Those were his words. And he came out with an album called Jesus is King. He sang in churches. He's been singing in churches, different ministry events. He claims his whole life has been turned around. Now, I think just like those early believers where they heard that Saul's life turned around, they didn't believe it. They're like, you're going to have to prove it a little bit. It's going to take some time for me to warm up to this. I want to make sure that this is real. And people are certainly looking for Kanye to mess up, right? Because he's not going to be perfect. We we all still struggle with sin, and he'll do some things, and people are like, oh, yeah, well, he's not really a Christian. I guess time will tell. But the important thing is this. God shaped his heart. And what did he do? He continued to put out music, but redeemed music, music that was in the direction of the kingdom of God. You see, he's still who he was, but God was just chipping away the marble to make him more the person he's created to be. I hope, it's, I hope it's true. I hope this all turns out and we see that Kanye's heart transformation is the real deal. So how does God do it? How does the heart shaping happen? Well, we see this in Saul of Tarsus. It kind of goes in three phases, and I think this is true with our heart shaping as well, not just for Saul, but for us too. So in the heart shaping, our environment is a factor. God is shaping our hearts through our earthly experience. I know that for me, I was shaped into the person I am by my childhood upbringing, by my relationships, by all the good, the bad, and the ugly. Shaped me into the person that I was. My my parents, my, all the influences that I had, my environment kind of shaped me. And as I look back, even though I didn't know it yet, God was shaping my heart for that which was to come. same thing with Saul, right? God prepared the first cross-cultural minister ever because Paul was actually perfectly at home in three different cultures. He was at home in the Roman culture He was at home in the Greek culture, and he was at home in the Jewish culture. He needed to be all those things in order to reach all the cultures of those cities that we talk about, Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, all these places where he went. He needed to be an expert in all of those things. God used his environment to shape him for that time that he was going to need them. God does this with us all the time. This is part of our heart shaping, and most of this happens before we even come into a relationship with Jesus, The second is an encounter. So then we have a moment where the resurrection hits us, where the teachings of Jesus all of a sudden matter because we know the proof of the gospel. We have an encounter with Jesus and it transforms us. We become redeemed by what Jesus did on the cross and God starts chipping away at the marble. We have this encounter with God. This was true with Saul, right? He's on his horse. On his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, he, a bright light comes. He literally hears the voice of Jesus. He falls to the ground. He has this experience where he realizes the resurrection is real, and it changed everything for him, changed his life. Then he cared about the teachings and devoted the rest of his life to sharing them with the world. But then that's not all. So you have the encounter, the environment, the encounter, and then empowerment. Empowerment to actually go and do what we've all been called to do. Listen, I wasn't ready when I first had an encounter with Jesus to go out and be a pastor of a church. I needed a lot of other shaping to get me to that point. Just like you in your life, you weren't ready for all the things that God maybe still has in store for you. It's something that's gonna take time, but the empowerment is something the Holy Spirit does So that we can share the truth of the resurrection with the world. At least when it comes to responsibility. One thing that McNeil says that I thought was really good. He says, too early a promotion can mean too short a ministry. It has to be the right time. And this happens in different seasons in our lives. Sometimes it's the right time for this in this season and the right time for this. It's not just a one and done. This is something that happens over and over again. Our environment is shaping, God's shaping our heart. We have an encounter with Jesus and then we are empowered to take his message to the world. So let's see how this unfolds in Saul. As you can imagine, everybody was a little bit skeptical. It took some time for Saul to be given the trust to go out and share God's word, to share his newfound faith. This is Acts chapter 11 now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews, right? So they were all scared. After Stephen was stoned, they were all scared, and they all scattered, or many of them scattered. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So what do we see? We see the first kind of ministry happening to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, to the Greeks, as they say. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And this would be the beginning of the empowerment of Saul, Saul Paul, his empowerment to go out. He's been perfectly heart-shaped to be this missionary, to this vastly larger group of people, the non-Jews. And this was the beginning of that calling. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. A year. Paul just didn't go right out to his missionary journey. It took time as he was preparing for that thing that God had set him up for, had heart-shaped him for. And right now, he's heart-shaping him this whole time as he's figuring out what life in Christian community even looks like through Barnabas and that group of Christians in Antioch. And here's the wild thing about this, is that God shaped, talk about heart shaping, God shaped an entire movement by shaping one heart. I wonder what God can spark by his shaping yours. So, Barnabas and Saul get ready to go out on their very first missionary journey. And this is Acts chapter, the end of Acts chapter 12 into 13. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed... They placed their hands on them and sent them off. So if you go take a look at the map that is now up here on the screen. This is the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And they leave from Antioch there uh, on that bottom red arrow. And it goes up all the way, if you want to follow it clockwise, going all the way over there to Lystra and to Derbe, Iconium. And then they kind of loop back and come around and take that other Passage back to Antioch. They end up going down to Jerusalem as well. But you kind of get a sense of this missionary journey was a long one. And what he's doing is going out there and he is sharing God's word with them to all the Gentiles. Let's go to Acts 14, verse 21. They preached the gospel in that city and when a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So basically, ministry is rocking. They go out on this missionary journey, they set up these churches, these pockets of believers. They're getting strengthened. They're being filled up. Things are changing. Their hearts are now being shaped by the truth of the resurrection. But it doesn't mean that there wasn't any opposition or there weren't any things the church had to figure out. This is what I love. All throughout the history of the church of Jesus Christ, there's been need to figure stuff out. Something comes up and we're like, oh, we didn't think about that. How do we deal with it? What do they do? They get together in church councils. They believe that it's best, let's decide this together. Now, you've heard all sorts of things about church councils and all the horrible things that have happened. Believe me, that is only part of the story. Yes, sin entered, and there were some church councils that weren't so good, but there were a lot of them that were really, really good. And this is the first church council, the council at Jerusalem. Here's what's happening. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So basically, word got out that all these non-Jews were coming to believe in Jesus, and then a group of them can't, you know, come to Barnabas and Paul, and they're like, you know what? Uh, they have to become Jewish first. I mean, talk about a new member class, right? So they have to be circumcised first. They have to be good Jews first. Then they can come to Jesus. And Paul and Barnabas said, no. That's not how it works at all. It's not about that. It's not about your adherence to the law. It's about God's grace and mercy. It's about how he set us free through the cross, through the power of the resurrection. We are not bound by that anymore. So they went to the council of Jerusalem where they met with all the apostles, all the leaders of the church to figure and sort this out. And I love how they do it. Verse 7. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. What's he mean? Well, that word yoke, it means uh, teaching. It means obligation. It was what was referred to as the yoke of the law, the burden of the law. Remember when Jesus was teaching, he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke of the law was hard. You had to perfectly obey the law, and of course they couldn't do that. And I love Peter's point here. It's like, why are you gonna put this on the Gentiles? We can't even do it right. And we never have. Why would you make them do it? That's ridiculous. Of course we're not going to do that. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. After some further discussion, James, and in this case is uh, believed to be the James, the brother of Jesus, stands up. And he says this in verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So what's he talking about here? You might think, man, those rules seem kind of unfair. Why those rules? Why not just say, oh, you know, it's by grace, so, uh, you know, you don't need to do anything different, just, you know, live in the grace of Jesus Christ. Well, remember, the yoke of the law was not just the Ten Commandments. It was all the commandments that were interpreted all throughout all the rabbinic interpretations for thousands of years. There were 600 some odd commandments of the law. Talk about a heavy yoke. And what James says is, let's just boil it down to these. And they were the ones that had to do with worshiping idols in their Gentile culture. Let's make it easy. let's not make it difficult for those who are coming to God. I love this. They came at this together, they came at it with the spirit of the freedom of Jesus Christ to know that the cross is the great equalizer. All fall short and all are welcome. Through faith in Jesus. So, what's the interpretation is that it's not about the law anymore, it's about the heart, and it always has been. The law didn't change the hearts of the disciples. Jesus' followers didn't go public because of Jesus' teachings, but because of his resurrection. The Christian church never would have gotten off the ground had it not been for the empty tomb. It's about heart transformation. So, I want to ask you this question as you consider all of this. What about your heart shaping? What has God been doing in you? How has God shaped your environment? Have you had an encounter with Him? Have you been empowered to live in the freedom of the gospel? What will God shape through your heart today? What journey will he send you on next? Why are you compelled to take this journey? Because the tomb is empty. Because the resurrection happened. Because his teaching matters and he proved it. Has he proved it in your life enough? Friends, I pray that today, right now, that you would be open to the life-changing power of the resurrection in your life. Alive people don't stay in the tomb. We walk out. And for many, you might feel like you're stuck in there. You're not sure what to do. Listen, God wants to empower you to be that version of you, to share his gospel with the world. He's been chipping away the marble, and I know we all have more to go, but maybe the more you trust in him, the more you'll look like that masterpiece he's created you to be. This is a chapter in your story. Amen. Well, as we invite the band to come back up and get ready to sing our last worship song, let me offer this prayer for us today. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are with us. Thank you for shaping our hearts even before we knew about you and what you did for us. Help us not just to lean on your teachings but to lean on your resurrection as the proof of those teachings to show us why what you had to say mattered because you are who you said you were. You are the I am. May we live in that power today in this uncertain and stressful environment. May we lean on the confidence that comes from you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.